true believers and strap in as we journey with Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior! Not to mention the evil genius and brilliant leadership of myself. Open the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. My name is Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime superhero fan, lifetime animation fan. And if you're new to this, this is the podcast that is exclusively about animation that springs from the world of comic books. We have three rules here. Number one, I just explained to you. Number two... I always team up with someone, much like DC Comics Presents, Marvel Team Up, Brave and the Bold. It's always me and a special guest. And the third and most important rule, we gotta have fun. Welcome to episode 11. This is a very special episode. I'm gonna bring out my guest without any further ado. If you're a long-time listener, episode 1, I had one of my brothers on. Now I'm bringing on my other brother. He is my former tag team partner. Welcome to the multiverse, Mark Vincent. Hey, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. All right. You know, it's weird because uh, you and I have never been on a podcast before, even though this is my second podcast, and you even guest hosted that podcast, but we were never on at the same time. Right. That was in your absence. So yeah, this is historic. All right. And episode 11, and um, even though we talk comic books and animation, I always want to put out spoilers, number one. Number two, even though I am knowledgeable and my guests are sometimes knowledgeable, we are no means experts and don't profess to be. So we're just two people having fun, talking about comic books, talking about superheroes, trying to be as informative as we can. Yeah, we wouldn't want to spoil a cartoon from 40 plus years ago now, would we? (laughs) No, we would not. On that note, I've been waiting to do this today. In the multiverse, we are going to do the Super Friends. All right. (laughs) Indeed we are, yes. (laughs) You kind of picked this episode, but we kind of mutually agree because this is the cartoon that we really... uh, grew up with the show was on for quite some time and it was the cartoon as children we were comic and superhero fans but this was really the comic that was consistent throughout our childhood yeah i started reading comics in the 70s and around the same time watched these cartoons in the 70s first we're going to go a little a little background of the super friends before we uh get into the particulars of the episode we're turning the clock back to 1973 for when the Super Friends started. Now, uh, Hanna-Barbera had done the Super Friends, which if you know anything about animation, they had done Tom and Jerry, the Herculoids, Space Ghost. They've done uh, Yogi Bear. Grape Ape. Grape Ape, yeah. So they, Filmation had done previous this, some cartoons based on Aquaman, Superman, and Batman. Oh, can I jump in here? Go for it. Just last year, I looked into... The first comics I ever read as a kid. Okay. And I pinpoint them to about 1976 when I started reading. And I remember around that same time that on TV in the afternoons were those Filmation DC cartoons from the late 60s. Yeah. And I think that's the first exposure that I had 
which right into the Super Friends uh, shortly thereafter on Saturday morning. Yeah, I think they were repeats that we were watching. And yeah, I've very. Well, I have some memories of them, even though it's going back quite a way, so I don't remember exactly. I just kind of remember watching them. Yeah, I think it was Aquaman, Flash. With the popularity of that, that is why uh, it spilled over into doing a, uh, a Saturday morning cartoon with the whole group. Some of the voice actors even carried over from the filmation onto the beginning of Super Friends. Now, it's based on the Justice League of America. This is the part where I say I'm not an expert in all this. I do a lot of research. Now, the Popular theory is that they changed it to the Super Friends because they thought Justice League of America at the in the post-Vietnam era was considered too jigostic. Jingoistic? Jingoistic. There you go. I never heard the word before my research. It means an extreme form of patriotism in the form of aggression or a warlike foreign policy. So it was the end of the Vietnam War. So that is the rumored reason why they changed it from Justice League of America to the Super Friends. I don't know if I buy that. Like, why wouldn't they just call it the Justice League? Super Friends is a more like young kid friendly name. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Which is also bizarre because several episodes they call themselves the Justice League. They call themselves the Justice League of America. Their little uh, communicators say JLA on them. So it's weird. Like I said with the research, I'm never a hundred percent sure if it's correct. I do as much as I can, but sometimes you know, just because it's on the internet, boys and girls, doesn't always mean it's true. Now, they also had, there was a lot of flack from parents' groups at that time. I don't know if it's post-hippie stuff or whatever, but violence was a big thing with children's programs. So, if you remember the Super Friends or if you've never seen it, the violence was very toned down. Superman rarely would punch anybody to solve a problem. The 70s cartoons did seem to, violence was way toned down. I don't know why that is, but yeah, that was definitely the case. So, Hanna-Barbera, who also done probably... uh, Arguably one of the most popular cartoons of all time, Scooby-Doo, and they were just coming off the Scooby-Doo. They had done this. So also that is why people predicted they had added Wendy and Marvin and Wonder Dog, Talking Dog, because teen cartoons with talking animals seemed to be the real craze in the late 60s, early 70s. Terrible characters. Funny, I think the idea of teen characters is to give young kids someone to relate to, but when you're a kid, you want to relate to Superman and Batman, not a kid sidekick yeah and they had robin so they had a teen superhero yeah we're gonna get into some little fun facts about the show itself for the episode um producers were lewis marshall and noah takamoto uh, again my pronunciation is not always the best so forgive me if i got that right alex toth he was the producer did a lot of the character designs uh he was a famous comic book artist as well as cartoon worker in fact he created space ghost and i believe the herculoids Ted Knight was actually the narrator on the very first season of the Super Friends. Ted Knight being from Caddyshack, probably the most famous, and the Mary Tyler Moore show. Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show. (laughs) But he only did the first season, then William Woodson took over. He's the most famous voice that everybody really associates with the, you know, meanwhile at the Hall of Justice. Yeah, anyone in our age group would recognize that voice. So the Super Friends, like I said, it started in 1973 called Super Friends. It ran for the one season, and... Even though it wasn't canceled, they weren't producing any new episodes after that season. They did some edited, like, shorter versions and rerunning it for two years up till uh, 1976, where they decided to revive it, and that's when they also added the Wonder Twins into the mix. They decided if they were going to go for it, they wanted kids with powers and not just loser wearing a cape that didn't actually... (laughs) Also pretty dorky characters, the Wonder Twins. Yes. (laughs) And over the years, it's been changed so much, it was... 
other than Scooby-Doo, I can't think of any cartoon that's been renamed so many times. It was Super Friends, then the all-new Super Friends Hour, then Challenge of the Super Friends, then the world's greatest Super Friends, then Super Friends again, then Super Fans, the legendary Superpowers show, and then finally, the Superpowers team, Galactic Guardians. And this cartoon actually ran for 12 years. It didn't end until 1985. Now, some uh, interesting fun facts. This is the first ever origin of batman depicted outside of the comic books it was in the final season of the super friends they actually depicted the origin of batman another fun fact cyborg appeared in the final season he's the only member of the super friends from the comic books that never was actually in the justice league when he appeared on the show he was actually from the teen titans this was like one of the first cartoon that introduced really the concept of any kind of minority superheroes at the time, DC didn't have a lot, so they invented them for the show. Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado, and Black Vulcan. I think those characters get a lot of flack, and they're campy, but I think the creators and producers don't get enough credit for At least they were trying their best, even though they didn't have the best results, per se. No, those were fun characters. As a kid, I didn't like it when there were characters not from the comic, but I actually liked those characters at the time, so... Samurai, some say, is based on Red Tornado because he had the whirlwind-type powers. Loosely, I guess. Loosely, but apparently anything he says in his native language, he can have that power, it seems. It seems like one of those things that's convenient to the plot sometimes. And Black Vulcan was originally supposed to be Black Lightning, one of the only of like maybe three black characters in DC Comics at the time. But there was some legal dispute between his creator, Tony Isabella, and uh, DC Comics, so they changed it to Black Vulcan. And also, this is one of the few Hanna-Barbera cartoons that they didn't own because Warner Brothers had actually owned the rights to the Super Friends. But now Warner Brothers owns Cartoon Networks and I believe owns all the Hanna-Barbera library anyway, so it really ended up that way. Perfect. All right. So now we decided we're going through the multiverse to December 23rd, 1978, Challenge of the Super Friends in the episode, The History of Doom. Now, uh, this was the 16th and final episode of Season 3. This is where uh, the season they introduced the Legion of Doom, which is one of my favorite seasons because they had had some of the villains appear, but this is the first time in mass the villains from the comic books all showed up on the cartoon. This is hearsay. Research I did may or may not be true. Apparently, they originally wanted to call it the League of Evil, and it was supposed to be led instead by Lex Luthor, instead of him, led by Dr. Savannah from the Shazam comic books. What a terrible choice. <laughs> now, they said, because Filmation was developing the uh, Shazam cartoon at the time, they could not use Savannah or Captain Marvel, and they went with the much better choice of Lex Luthor. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Luthor, why wouldn't you? That should be your first choice. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I don't know why it wasn't. They have the, the Hall of Doom, which everyone remembers, uh, you know, kind of looking similar to Darth Vader coming out of the... I didn't know until doing my research that it was called Slaughter Swamp. Did you know that? <laughs> no, that I didn't know. <laughs> and they claim it's supposed to be outside of Gotham City, Slaughter Swamp, but you wouldn't know that at all from the show that I remember anyway. Isn't Gotham loosely based on Chicago? Is it really like a giant swamp outside the city? <laughs> I don't know. They can't decide. I mean, in the movies, it's right next to Metropolis. I heard it was based in Chicago. Uh, I've heard rumors that it's based in New York. I believe the Dark Knight films, they filmed most of those in Chicago, the, the Christopher Nolan ones, so who the hell knows. This episode, History of Doom, is written by uh, Jeffrey Scott, 
directed by Ray Patterson and Carl Urbano. So, as anyone knows, I like to give credit as, credit as due. We're going to go over some of the characters that appear on this episode. It's quite a few, so bear with me. Obviously, Superman, created by Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster, and he is voiced by a Danny Dark, who was very famous for doing a lot of voiceover work in the time. I'm not going to list every single character that appears, because some of them don't even have lines on the episode. But uh, Batman, obviously created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. He's voiced by an Olin Soul, who's a voiceover actor as well. You're going to find that's a very common theme back here. Uh, Wonder Woman was created by William Moulton Marston, and Shannon Farnan voiced over, and I can't find really anything on her other than voicing over Wonder Woman. Robin! Created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson. Voiced by the legendary Casey Kasem, who everyone knows is the voice of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo and obviously American's Top 40. Aquaman. And he is voiced by one Bill Calloway. Aquaman created by uh, Paul Norris and Mort Weisinger. Bill Calloway, he was uh, a very famous voice actor. In the 70s and 80s, uh, everybody who did one cartoon did a lot. He was Beachhead on G.I. Joe. And he was the voice of Angel on Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. He also did the voice of Bizarro on this as well, who was created by Otto Binder and George Papp. We also have Lex Luthor. Stan Jones did the voice of Lex Luthor, who was also created by Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster. He, Stan Jones, was the narrator on uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the uh, film, the 1986 version, as well as doing other voiceover work. Cheetah. Created by William Moulton Marston, voiced by uh, Marina Aragon, who I could not find anything on other than her voicing Cheetah on this cartoon. Black Manta, created by Bob Haney and Nick Carty. He's voiced by Ted Casty as well as Brainiac, who was created by Al Plastino and Otto Binder. Ted Casty, who voiced both those characters, most famous playing Lurch on the Addams Family television show. Wow. Exciting. I can tell you're thrilled. Vic Perna did the voice of Sinestro. He was the original um, voice of Spaceship Earth on Epcot and Disney World. He was created by John Broom and Gil Kane. Captain Cold, created by John Broom and Carmen Infantino, and he's voiced by Dick Rael, who was just a voice hour actor I couldn't find a lot on. Michael Rye did the voice of Apache Chief and Green Lantern, Green Lantern being created by... Um, uh, who cares? <laughs> John Broom and Gil Kane, and uh, Apache Chief was created. Uh, all I can find is Hanna-Barbera created him, so I don't know if they're credited or the actual writer did, and he never got any credit. Frank Welker, who everybody knows, he was the voice of Fred Rogers on, uh, not Fred Rogers, <laughs> that's Mr. <laughs> Fred on Scooby-Doo, and he's done Iceman on Spider-Man Amazing Friends. He's just done Hundreds of voices. Hundreds. Still working today doing voiceover. He is the voice of Toy Man. who was created by Don Cameron and Ed DeBrocta. Worked on Futurama. Yes, he did. And The Simpsons. Ruth Foreman does the voice of Giganta. She was uh, created by also William Moulton Marston. And finally, Gorilla Garod. Created by John Broom and Carmen Infantino. And he was voiced by one Stanley Ralph Ross. Whew. Uh, so we got through that. I think we got everybody who has at least a line on this episode who was in either the Legion of Doom or the Super Friends. That's uh, quite a lineup. And there's uh, way more members to both teams that appear but don't even actually have any lines in the episode. 
And by the way, the Toy Man, who looks zero like the actual Toy Man from the comics, I don't know if they've ever even adapted this version of the Toy Man in a comic. I'll reserve comment until we've seen the episode, but yeah, I don't remember what the Toy Man looks like. All right. Having gone over all of that, we're going to go back to 1978. Challenge of the Super Friends. History of Doom. We'll be back with our thoughts. Stay with us. Holy icicles! In their daily pursuit of justice, our superhero characters do battle with the world's most evil villain. Where will the next evil villain come from? Maybe you will create them in Post Superheroes Create a Villain Contest. Grand prize. Nine kids win a one-week trip to Hollywood. They'll have breakfast with these superheroes. And the villain they've created. Second prize. One thousand win bicycles. Millions will enter and everyone who does gets superheroes puffy stickers. Details on specially marked boxes of Alphabet, Super Sugar Crisp, Honeycomb, and Pebble cereals. You can draw and paint your villain in the picture provided. Three different pictures. Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin. Three grand prizes per picture. The most original villains win. Holy Hollywood. Post Superheroes Create a Villain Contest. Details on specially marked boxes of Alphabet, Super Sugar Crisp, Honeycomb, and Pebble cereals. Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin. Aquaman. Samurai, Apache Chief. Together they form the world's greatest force of good ever assembled. Dedicated to truth, peace, and justice for all mankind. These are the Super Friends. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... Banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. And we're back. We just watched... Challenge of the Super Friends History of Doom. Even though I've seen some of them in most recent years, it was kind of in a cool nostalgia trip going back to childhood watching the Super Friends. And I gotta say, before we get anywhere, the music, the intro music, the throughout the it's just great music. Like epic music, if you want my honest opinion. Yeah, all those musical cues. I remember them right as they were happening. They're just tremendous. So the opening credits has the music, you know, the Challenge of the Super Friends, where they explain how the there are 13 villains from the remote cosmos in space who has on a mission for the conquest of the universe. Yep, not just the Earth, planet Earth. <laughs> no. There's a whole bunch of people I'm not going to get into, but I mean, if you're going to conquer the universe, what is the Riddler really going to do at that point? Well, as we'll reveal, he didn't have much to do in this story, actually. <laughs> and uh, another thing I wanted to, just before we get into the episode, the, the intro, Aquaman is flying in the intro to Challenge of the Super Friends. Oh, was he? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that or not. <laughs> No, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> also, Super Friends is also kind of responsible for why Aquaman was considered a joke for like 20 plus years because of his appearance on the Super Friends. All he seemed to do was talk to fish a lot. Too many stories take place not near the ocean. Aquaman's kind of additional character. It doesn't do a lot. So we open with uh, shots of many landmarks destroyed. The Golden Great Bridge, Mount Rushmore. 
the Kennedy Space Center in uh, Manhattan, all like devastated. Manhattan's got water up to the thing. Statue of Liberty's like buried. Yeah, we started in that like future apocalyptic conditions of Earth. Very cryptic. You don't know what's going on. And then you see a newspaper like – you ever notice in uh, newspapers and movies and TV shows, they're always flapping in the wind and then opening right in the headline to tell you what's going on. Convenient. And this one opens with, end of the world near, super friends, no hope. No hope or no help? <laughs> you are correct. No help. Yeah, they were no help to the end of the universe or the Earth or whatever. And then you go to a spaceship flying. It's going over the Hall of Justice, which is already destroyed. Not sure if they're aliens or just time travelers or future, but three people come out of it that all are human, of course. And they're like, what happened? What's going on? Yeah, they were an advanced race of humans, and they're watching over this future apocalypse. It's kind of interesting that the story, it started so deep in the story. Like you started... There's no establishing of the Super Friends. It actually started deep in the story of this future that's been demolished. Yeah, and it's pretty uh, dark stuff there for cartoon in the uh, 70s where the world essentially is destroyed. One of the humans says, what happened here? And one of them says, a natural catastrophe. And then one of them says, nope, this was not natural. It was done by man. So if he knows that, I'm not sure why the other two don't know that. Well, as we find on the Super Friends, there's a lot of story exposition through character dialogue, you know? So, yeah, it seems like they would all know that, but they kind of had to explain stuff for the benefit of the audience. Yeah, we're not going to get into all of it, but there, if, if you notice, uh, almost everyone explained what they were doing while they were doing it, after they did it, or right before they did <laughs> So they go into the Hall of Justice, and they're going to use the galactic records to see if they're still working so they can figure out what's going on. They pop it in. There's Superman on the screen. He's all beat up. His costume's ripped. He says he has very little strength, and uh, he is the last survivor, and the LOD, the Legion of Doom, is responsible for what's happened. I like that touch. Of course, Superman would be the last survivor. He's the most powerful. Makes sense. His costume's actually ripped, which you almost never saw. That happened on the Super Friends. But then, before they can find out what it was that caused it, the video cuts out. Can't figure out what happened. He's going to use his, uh, I guess, mental telepathy or his powers to operate the computer, the head alien. Right. These superhuman aliens, whatever they were from the future, use their mind to operate the computer. So we, they could like flash back, find out what happened. Yeah. Which, by the way, he knows it's not man-made. So you think you might have any idea of what it is. If he doesn't, what has tipped him off that he knows? This is, what is the evidence that this is not man-made at this point? He suspected, but he needed it confirmed. So the voice of the computer is actually, was, I don't know if you noticed, was actually Casey Kasem as well. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. So it works, and then they're going to do Origin of Lex Luthor. Yeah. It's interesting how the story, they went so far in the past to see some of the origins of these villains first. Yep. But pretty neat idea. Yeah. I mean, it hadn't been done at that point. And uh, they uh, see Lex Luthor is uh, with a full head of hair, driving a tractor through a field. Yeah. We're flashing back to Smallville. There's- Luther working in the farm in Smallville. Then, Superboy flies over. Yeah, it's actually Superboy, not Superman. They reference Nice touch. Yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. He comes down, and, a, and right when that happens, a kryptonite meteor crashes, which is going to kill Superman. So then Lex uses his tractor to, he drives the kryptonite asteroid away from Superboy right into a ravine. This was a great story point. So I can't believe I'm saying this about a you know a cartoon from the 70s for kids, but it actually established how Lex Luthor knew that kryptonite hurt superman yeah 
like right in the origin they tell that. I just think that's a good story point to get that established. Yeah, now remember that because it's going to come up a little bit more in the origin as well. So Indeed. Once he saves him, he Superboy thanks him, shakes his hand, introduces him, and says he owes him his life. And then you found out, which I was a little surprised at, Lex Luthor is a huge Superboy fan. Loves him. He's got a whole like shrine to him, in fact. Best friends. Yeah. Soon to be bitter enemies. <laughs> and his ambition, though, is not to be just this farmer. He wants to be the world's greatest scientist. Yeah, so Superboy lends him a hand, helps build him a nice lab. And he says, uh, <laughs> this I kind of liked, is uh, this is going to make him the most famous boy scientist in the world. It's a strange ambition when the character is clearly a teenager. Like, why would he have to specify just a young boy scientist? But not just scientist, you know. He has to really hit it home. He's going to be the best boy scientist. Very strange, yeah. So he's doing an experiment on kryptonite. He drops it in. We don't know what it is, but he actually creates an antidote, antidote for kryptonite. Basically curing Superman of a, or Superboy of his weakness. Yeah, and he says that Superboy will now be indestructible because of it. But then what happened? Then he drops a vial, crash, and like this toxic gas comes out of it where he's, uh, he's choking. It looks like he's not going to be able to live. And Superboy comes to save him and announces he's going to do it with a super breath, of course. <laughs> Blows out the fire, but he walks in and Luthor is livid. Not only did you destroy my lab, you lost all my hair with your super breath. Yeah, he blew out the explosion, but... Blew back the explosion sort of in Luther's face, I guess. Yes. Burned off his hair. He's like, now nah, you're never going to get the antidote. He does try to apologize and say it was an accident. Yeah, Luther basically accuses him of sabotaging him because he was jealous. <laughs> you have to believe this was deep down to Lex Luthor all along, though, because he really turned evil pretty quick. So He says, uh, one day I'm going to destroy you. Pretty oh. uh, insecure guy. <laughs> I mean, I love... The origin, I love Luthor and Superman, but let's, these guys had like a near 80-year feud because he caused him to lose his hair. Well, more that he perceived him as sabotaging this great experiment, I guess. It ends, we go back to these aliens. I don't know what that really did to solve the problem of why the world's been destroyed. Yeah. I mean, this is a, actually a pretty decent story, the way everything unfolds, but I don't know why it was necessary to... It's fun to see these origins, but it, I don't know why they had to go that far back just to see these villains' origins. They go to uh, the tape of uh, Giganta's origin. Yeah, quick question. You might have mentioned this. Is Giganta a real character from the comics? It says she was created by William uh, Moulton Marston, who had created Wonder Woman from the comic books. I was under the impression she was created for the cartoon to be Apache Chief's villain. Oh, so she was like an old Wonder Woman She's villain. an old Wonder Woman villain. Yeah, she just has the same powers as Apache Chief. That's why I thought, I for the longest time thought she was created specifically for the cartoon. That's no, that makes sense. Yeah, she was created back in 1944, actually. Okay, so a Golden Age Wonder Woman villain. I think when people, by the way, make fun of the Super Friends new characters, Apache Chief is probably the one they're thinking of because he does seem like the most like token character, you know? Yeah, he talks like- It's a, kind of a generic Indian yeah, or Native talks, American character. Yeah, he talks like a Native, a cliche of a Native American back from that time area. And he, he doesn't dress like a person or have a superhero costume. He dresses like an Indian that you'd picture from an Old West uh, show. Right, he's not wearing modern clothes. So, uh, Apache Chief is with the Indian Chief, what well, you assume is the Indian Chief, and they're, they're tracking a bear. He's teaching Apache Chief how to track, and he figures out it's a bear, which all of a sudden, this huge grizzly bear shows up, and they're trapped by the grizzly bear. So, this I liked. He... <laughs> okay. Again, I give them credit for trying, but this is some pretty lazy-ass writing. He gives him a magic Indian powder 
and says it's going to test his manhood. Before he's going to give it to him because he's scared, it's not going to work. He says it enhances what you already have. If you're brave, this will make you braver. Yeah, I actually like that. I mean, kind of consistent with how the, his powers are, I guess. Yeah, I like the idea and I like the powder, but it just the <laughs> I'm not like paraphrasing. It's literally like magic Indian powder. <laughs> A bit generic. <laughs> He says, all right, I no longer feel fear. And he gives him the powder and he says to say, Inukchuk! And he says it, boom, and then you see him grow huge. Which also, you know, I know this is pointed out a thousand times the old. If someone grows, their clothes grow with them. It's a bit of a cheat, but you know. Yeah. So then he picks up the bear. This was brilliant. And puts him behind a mountain. Yep. <laughs> just drops him behind a mountain. <laughs> On the horizon, like, like he's in front of a painting. Just picks him up, puts him behind the mountain. Uh, and then you see Giganta's been watching from the sidelines. And she says, I got to get that powder so I can become famous. Right. <laughs> I don't know if she means villain, if she means like attraction, actress, but she's going to get famous. So she causes an avalanche, which Apache Chief has to stop so the uh, the other Indian does not get killed. Right. So when Apache Chief was doing that, she snatches the potion from the chief there, right? Yep. And the chief warns her, says, you're already evil. That's going to make you even more evil. And she says, maybe my favorite line on the uh, of the episode. <laughs> Quiet, you old fool. I know what I'm doing. And once she gets the potion, she has one of your staples, a heel laugh. She says, she says now I'm 50 feet of evil. And <laughs> has a heel laugh. So she does perceive herself as evil, which I always think is weird when people do that. Not in like a regretful way, but you know, like like it's something to be proud of. So that's the end of uh, Giganta. So then they just decided, hell with it. We're going to the origin of the Legion of Doom. <laughs> no more origins of the individual characters. Maybe this look into the past wasn't precise, and that's why they went back that far. And then they decided, okay, we got to go further. That could very well be possible. So you see that the Super Friends are all hanging out, and uh, Superman gives a speech about how if we work together, we can solve these problems, and we got to be the Super Friends. Yeah, so we see a snippet of the forming of the Super Friends. And the forming of the Legion of Doom, right? Yeah, because the Legion of Doom were watching this, and Cheetah says they're going to get wiped out, and Luthor explains that's why he all invited them there to form their own league. Luthor even says that uh, we're going to be the Legion of Doom. And we need a headquarters. And that's when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Iceman? What is well, it? first, um, they say, uh, Black Manta says we should build it under the ocean. Oh, right, right, right. And then Captain Cold. And like, Captain Cold, yes, yeah, suggests, let's have our headquarters in the North Pole or Antarctica or yeah, whatever I, he said. I think it was, to be exact, said that under the polar ice cap. Oh, okay. Which, Sorry, I'm a little hopped up at Starbucks today for the first time in two weeks, so getting ahead of myself. Which I never thought Captain Cole was like supposed to be cold himself. Starbucks, not a sponsor, by the way. <laughs> no, I always thought he was just a guy with a cold. Get apparently on this, though, uh, he's frozen and all of his crimes always lead around cold. He, he likes a cold? Which Grodd says, your brain must be frozen. The only uh, yes. place we can put it is in the jungle. Perfect compromise in the small the swamp. <laughs> Yeah, Luther says it's a perfect compromise to put it in the swamp, slaughter swamp, as I, I've discovered earlier today. I don't know how that's really a compromise between the polar ice caps, the ocean, and the jungle. But what do I know? So, I got nothing on that. Yeah, They build it in a barn, a giant barn, which I guess cannot be discovered, and they fly it to the swamp. And I got to say, the, the, the Hall of Doom is pretty awesome. The design and everything yeah, it just looks pretty badass. Cool looking, yeah. And they take it to Slaughter Swamp. They have their first meeting in their, their big throne room. 
one for all and all for doom. Yeah, not a lot of subtleties in a <laughs> kids go doom back then. Which is a great pledge, but I don't remember any other episodes of them doing that. So then the aliens are like, all right, we got to see what the Legion of Doom did to have this. So then they flash back to the episode. It's bizarre. They flash back to an episode. It is an actual episode of Super Friends where the Legion of Doom grew giant, like way bigger than Apache Chief ever was. And Toy Man, uh, like he gets Wonder Woman's lasso on his finger and turns into a giant yo-yo. Didn't you feel like that part of the story was unnecessary? Like they were cramming too much story into that episode? Yeah. Um, a lot jammed into this 20-minute episode. And it doesn't actually... We'll find out later. I'm not going to jump ahead, but we find out later that's not what causes the apocalypse. So I don't even know why it's really. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like a lot. I mean, you got some action out of it, but. So they get frozen by Captain Cold and then Toy Man has a giant slingshot and shoots the Super Friends to Saturn. So when they're gone, their immediate plan is they're going to attack Gorilla City and they come out of the Hall of Doom with these pretty awesome Doom buggies. We didn't get into this much, but the animation a lot of times is a little sloppy in points. Yeah, I actually was going to gloss over that, but there are definitely times where the art is kind of sketchy where they forgot to fill in parts. Pretty cheap looking at times. And I've read that, I don't know how true this is, that Black Vulcan, even though we're not going to get into it much, his, he wasn't supposed to not have pants, but it was like an art mistake where it was never consistent because they were always rushing out the episodes. Oh, like sometimes he was showing with like bare legs. And yeah, and other times not, and that he actually, his original design supposedly had pants, but because a lot of those cartoons back then, especially, were rushed, they didn't really proofread, and they, they were like, because it seems like Giganta was already giant in the dune buggy, which wouldn't make... I think I missed that, but yeah, that that's absurd. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Grodd explains how they're going to control every gorilla in Gorilla City, and they get there, and Toy Man says there's nothing there, and Grodd says, of course not, because only gorilla can see the invisible dome. So then... Sinestro uses his ring to open up the dome, which he can't even see it. So this feels like another case of sometimes with Green Lantern and Sinestro, they invent new powers to their rings that make it convenient to the story. But they do break in and then a bunch of gorilla soldiers. And yet they needed the Riddler on this team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Take a mind, Riddler, Scarecrow have done, Brainiac have done nothing at this point. Well, what would they add exactly? Actually, even Black Manta has done absolutely nothing as well. Yeah. Giganta grows big and stops the gorillas. They're going to fire at them. The master destabilizer, the gorillas are to stop them. I don't know what exactly that is, but Sinestro ends up backfiring with his ring anyway. So I guess it didn't really matter in the long run. And then they cut to, this was pretty cool. Uh, Soliver shows up, uh, the king of Gorilla City. Did they mention him by name? I don't think they mentioned him, but it was. He had the cape and all that. He's the king. He's plainly supposed to be Solver, but yeah, I don't think they actually named him. He doesn't get named to show up until the Justice League cartoon later on where he showed up on a two-parter, the Brave and the Bolt two-part episode they did, I believe. Somehow he knows Grodd's plan of what he's going to do, and he has to escape before that happens. So he just teleports out of Gorilla City. Was there any follow-up to that? No, never. Never gets brought up again. Not to jump ahead, but yep, he escapes and... They do show Grodd takes over the uh, all the gorillas, right. and then the tape ends of the aliens watching it. So that never gets followed up. I don't even know why it happens. It leads to absolutely nothing. Was that from another episode then? I think there must have been. So maybe that was just put in there to pad out the t- yeah, running time. that's what I'm thinking as well, because- Yeah, that was the only part of the episode. It seemed a little unnecessary, a bit of a filler with the story there. I looked it up, and yes, that was from an episode, Revenge on Gorilla City. Okay, that makes more sense that they 
inserted that stuff. So the final episode of season three is a borderline clips episode, basically. Well, yeah, but the origin stuff was all new, yeah, right? The origin stuff was all new, and the wraparound story with the three aliens is also new as well. So the tape ends, and they need more data, so they're going to track down the Hall of Doom. They're in their ship, and Hall of Doom appears on their radar, which for something that's supposed to be hundreds of years in the future, you think their radar would be a little more sophisticated. But it doesn't matter any, because the main alien's going to control the ship telepathically. Why he wasn't doing that the whole time, I have no idea. So they find the Hall of Doom, and they're surprised that it looks destroyed as well. So they thought they were maybe alive, and um, they're going to find another clip. Luthor, they show in this clip, has a foolproof plan. Right, right. Which Torment says, I've heard that before. So this was the new story. I, I believe so. Okay, yeah. this was the stuff from, yeah. It was a little... When the clips moved in, I could see how you might be confused. Yeah, it was a little confusing how this was all crammed together, but... Right, so Luther had this plan, the foolproof plan. The foolproof plan, which Toy Man heard before, while blowing up a Superman balloon. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice little character touch, actually. He said, most of your plans are a bust, as he pops the balloon. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Gotta love a good supervillain quip. So then uh, he explains this plan. He has an ion-powered rocket that he's going to shoot at the sun, which is going to cause a gigantic sun flare to hit the Hall of Justice. Seems like a foolproof plan. Well, I mean, it's not scientifically sound, but it's an interesting approach. Uh, it worked, didn't it? Well, we're going to find that out in a minute. The Super Friends, uh, they see it coming. that They've shot it, and it's the big solar flare is heading to the Hall of Justice. All right, so Superman has to say it aloud that yes, he can move faster than anyone. So he can intercept it. Yep, he's going to take care of it. Probably he, didn't need to take the time to tell him that. No, he doesn't. Not, but a lot of times people need to tell everyone what they're going to do. So Superman goes to fly. And right then, Luther's got another plan. He is going to change the sun red. So Superman will no longer have any powers. Yeah, you know, the thing about this cartoon is... They really bring in a lot of stuff from the comics. I mean, they acknowledge kryptonite and how Superman gets his powers from a yellow sun, not a red sun. So, And the costumes of everyone but the Toy Man are almost exact to the comic book. Yeah, so the Toy Man never looked like that, right? I think they've then done retcons where he's looked like that, but at the time, I don't believe he ever looked like that. Because the comic book Toy Man would just wear like a ugly suit, like yeah, colorful like suit. pink and blue. And he it's kind of a boring look for a cartoon. So. Yeah, he looked kind of like the prankster, uh, yeah. just a different suit. Instead, they make him look like a jester character, yeah, basically. Yeah, more of a supervillain costume. Um, and also, this is the one of two times that I remember the Red Sun thing came up. There's a later episode where Luthor makes a deal with these fire aliens to turn the sun red so they can take over the Earth because Superman won't have any powers, which led to that had the Supermobile appear, which was pretty cool. But oh. that's not the episode we're reviewing. So um, Superman says, announces, of course, that um, because the sun's turning red, he has no powers and he has to fly back to the Hall of Justice. Yes, he's got to get back to warn them because someone's got to, you think Green Lantern might have jumped in, but <laughs> the, what, the like only other cosmic guy in the entire group? This is now, again, it's a cartoon we're nitpicking. He's in outer space. Who the hell is he talking to? <laughs> the viewers at home. So then we go back. They said not to worry because they're going to turn on the global force field, which there's been alien invasions on multiple Super Friends episodes. So why this is never used at any other time is beyond me. But 
unbeknownst to them, this causes a chain reaction between the force field and the solar flare, which causes a radioactive energy belt. This is going to pretty much cause massive climate change, destroying the uh, entire planet on a global scale. Right. So, at this point, we see this is what's caused the- Yeah, we finally figured out what's caused this, this huge catastrophe. This was not Luther's plan. This was an accident. And then Garad even says, brilliant plan, more like brilliant plunder, Luthor. Hey, it worked. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> it caused worldwide destruction, destroying even the Legion of Doom. So, even though they don't come out and say it or show it, it's implied that this pretty much kills not only the Super Friends and the Legion of Doom and most of uh, of the planet. The alien says- End of story. No. <laughs> oh, wait. It's not. That'd be quite a that's depressing way to end the Super Friends. What a, what a bleak ending that would have been. He says the main alien that we're going to save him, and uh, the other guy asks him if they're worth saving. He says, yes, we have to give him a second chance because they have to learn that force will always lead to chaos. Which, um, if you look back at that point in time, that uh, Superfriend did a lot of not solving their problems with force, trying to find alternate ways a lot of times back in those, especially the early cartoons of the Superfriends. So this guy, he's going to turn back the time stream to prevent this. Right, right. He's okay. going to... Turn Earth, basically a Superman 1 job where he's going to spin around and uh, turn the planet, but he just uses his massive telepathy. And Earth returns as it was. But they go back right to the moment where that solar flare is coming towards the Earth. History's just going to repeat itself. Unless? Unless the alien uses his powers and moves the moon in front of the sun, causing a solar eclipse. And that stops the solar flare. The solar flare. And this is actually Robin's only line. He says, holy solar eclipse. Well, Robin, child with no powers, did as much in this episode as Green Lantern or The Flash. And the best part is uh, when it happens. So this is actually a case of the world being saved without anything from the Super Friends. Superman says, looks like the Legion of Doom didn't check their almanac. Uh, yeah, clever. And then, then Luthor appears on the screen. I didn't check my own next Superman. Luthor is mad that Superman implies he would make that error. I think this is consistent with Luthor. See, Luthor, his ego is so big, he had to get on the, the comm and just let him know that his plan was brilliant. Just something went wrong that he couldn't foresee. Yep. And this saves the Earth, prevents this global catastrophe. And they're all like happy that it happened. And uh, they can't believe it happened. And uh, Superman says, sometimes when you're on the side of justice, things just go your way. Roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> Roll credits. So the whole planet is saved, really, without the Super Friends doing anything. Yeah, the ending is a bit of a cheat. But, I mean, it's set up. I mean, what else would these people from the future, why else are they there but to alter the timeline and ensure that the superheroes can win? So there you have it, folks. Challenge of the Super Friends, History of Doom. Uh, it's... Loved going back. I still love that cartoon. Uh, we're going to, as always at this point in the show, we're going to jump over to the Spectrometer. Mark Benson on a scale of one to four, four being perfection. Or you could go actually zero to four, zero being crap. How many Spectros are you going to give? Challenge of the Super Friends, History of Doom. All right, well, first off, uh, going in, I thought I'd be really apologetic for this show because it's well, it's a, a show written for children, a cartoon written for children in the seventies. I wasn't expecting much. I mean, I have nostalgia for the show, but I thought it'd be really 
bad. This was actually not to get too deep into it. This is why I was reluctant to do your show, just because it just seems a little absurd that as a grown man, I'm going to review a show that is for kids. I mean, but watching it, I didn't really have to apologize to him much. It's a decent storyline for what it is. I mean, everything made a certain amount of sense. I mean, scientifically ludicrous, you know, but at least they established their own rules and kind of followed them. So uh, I would give it like a three or three and a half. Of course, it's silly, but as a kid, I loved it. All these characters appeared in it. You got to see all the superheroes and supervillains. You really got your bang for your buck, so to speak. So yeah, I'd give it a three. I'd give it a three and a half. It's hard. I'm feeling generous. Because I'm trying to give it a review without comparing it to all the animation that's come since then, which is kind of difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, if you can include like the quality of the animation, it's obviously nothing like modern animation. It's a 45-year-old episode or whatever. I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it two and a half spectros. I enjoy that. Outrageous. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's, three just seems a little too high just because it's a little shoddy storytelling sometimes in animation. Some of it's a little thrown together. The ending is kind of a cheat. As a kid, you loved it though. <laughs> I do I still enjoy watching it now. Maybe I'll give it a three because I still did enjoy tremendously watching it. I like that they did so many classic villains, so many classic It's official. It's a three. I'm going to give it a three. Um, they don't do hardly any changes. Like you see a lot of the modern interpretations of superheroes. They're pretty much just faithful to the source material. Maybe there were better episodes that weren't a half clip episode with kind of a cheat ending. I, the, the major flaw is the outcome would have been the same if the super friends never, I think it would have been better to have when they turned the times back. Maybe the super friends actually solve the problem. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, Green Lantern could have diverted the solar flare away from Earth or something. <laughs> yeah, that character has always been a bit of a loser, so didn't expect much from him. But probably my only criticism as a kid might have been, I wish I saw a little bit more of some of the other heroes. We saw Superman, Apache Chief. Did the other characters do much outside of some dialogue? Yeah, other dialogue? than uh, oh, Wonder Woman, but that was from the clip. Yeah, if you count not the clips, really Superman and Apache Chief are the only ones that did anything on this. All the characters show up because there's multiple group shots. But the only ones who actually do anything, really, were Superman and Apache Chief. Yeah, so it would be nice to see some more action with some of the other characters. And take in mind, we might have picked a different episode, but we just, we randomly picked it up. We wanted to do a Legion of Doom Super Friends episode. We randomly picked it. When we saw that it was the origin of the Legion of Doom, it kind of caught our eye. How could we pass that up? Yeah, and there's multiple episodes where they do more things. Now, we also do, if a child came across Challenge of the Super Friends History of Doom in 2021, would a kid enjoy it? Is this for me? Yeah, it's for you first. We both answered the question. Oh, this is hard for me to answer since I don't have kids. Um, the only kids I know are your kids or our sister's kids. Um, it's hard for me to – I don't know if I can answer that. You jump in. Um, I think it would fly with a younger – if you didn't get too old, I think the older slightly when they're starting to the preteen years – would probably think it's a little hokey compared to now. I think a younger kid would still enjoy it, especially if they were familiar with comics because they don't change anything at all. Yeah, okay. I, I guess I concur. Older kids, I think, it, it's obviously not up to the standards of cartoons of today. So, uh, young, super young kids, though. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of colorful characters. I mean. Yeah, I think anyone, if there a lot of kids who are like superheroes, I think are going to enjoy it because they do show up a lot. Maybe a different episode, a little more action, maybe, but I think they would enjoy Super Friends from that era. Yeah. Some modern people might say, who's this imposter Green Lantern? John Stewart's a real Green Lantern. He was on Justice League. That's true. They might. 
<laughs> they might say that. The much improved uh, of choice of John Stewart, right? Indeed, indeed. All right, there you have it, folks. Challenge of the Super Friends, the history of Doom. Uh, One so, last comment. Go for the it. guy has a magic ring, can do anything. I don't even think he flies in the episode. He's just standing there the whole time. No, he did virtually nothing. You think, especially with the cosmic aspect, he would have accompanied Superman just to be on the safe side. Yeah, Wonder Woman too, but yeah, I digress. <laughs> Hey, I'm John the Doom. If uh, if you liked it more than us, that's great. We can't take that away from you. If you didn't like it, that's great as well. We do want to hear your thoughts and opinions. I always like to hear your two cents. What did you think of Challenge of the Super Friend History of Doom? You can go to my uh, social media and uh, let us know at, at Matt Spectro on Twitter. If you could also follow me, that'd be great. I'm also uh, on Facebook as Matt Spectro through the multiverse. If you could give me a follow, give me a like. Give my podcast a like, smash that subscribe button if you can, recommend and share, really appreciate it. you have any opinions or thoughts or suggestions on uh, how we can improve guests you'd like to see come back or a particular episode you'd like to review, we always want to hear from you. Remember here, it's all about fun. What's more fun than listening to what you want to say and putting it out there? You're not interested in uh, promoting any of your social media, I assume. Uh, No, I have nothing to promote. (laughs) I do want to thank you for appearing on the show. Hope you'll come back again someday. No, I mean, I was reluctant to come on, but I had a good time, and it was kind of fun to look back at these old cartoons we watched as children. And uh, I got to ask, since uh, we didn't cover it, what is your, uh, what do you consider your favorite superhero or superhero group? Spider-Man was always my favorite superhero. Avengers was my favorite group. I was more of a Marvel guy. Looking at the Super Friends, if just look at these characters we saw today, Superman's definitely my favorite. And we got to see a lot of them. All right. There you have it. So, again, I want to thank you for joining us. And always uh, share those opinions I want to hear. And if you give me a like, give me a subscribe. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. And joining us again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. <laughs>